we're continuing our psalm series, as, as we've said this morning already. Um, we're on to Psalm 111 this morning. Um, psalm 111, it's a psalm of praise. And the psalmist isn't identified at the beginning of the psalm. But the, the psalm really is looking, as we mentioned in our prayer, of, uh, it's looking at the characteristics of God. And uh, the psalmist has gone to great care to to structure the psalm in a way where these characteristics, they build on each other and they, they, they all link to create this, this wonderful image of the God that, that we worship. Um, and it struck me that um, it's the combination of the, the characteristics of God together which make him truly worthy of praise from us. Um, some of these things that we're looking at on their own um, would not necessarily make someone praiseworthy, but the combination of, of all the things that the psalmist has put together in describing God really um, helps us to see just how magnificent God is and, and how worthy of our praise he is. So it's the bringing together of all those attributes of God into one person which makes God so worthy of our praise. And uh, the other great thing about this psalm and a lot of the psalms that we've already looked at and, and the psalms that we're, we're not including in our series, they're, they're such great examples to us of how we can praise God ourselves. Um, so the psalmist has, has taken time and careful consideration to the structure of the psalm and um, in contemplating who God is. Um, it's clear that the psalmist is not just, just drawing on things that, that he's, he's read about God or he's heard about God from other people, but it's clear that um, the psalmist has experience in, in their own life of the goodness and the, the power and the, the righteousness of God. And it makes the experience of God much more real to us, doesn't it, if we can do that ourselves. So just a great example for us of, of how to, to praise God as we ought to. So we'll just begin by reading the psalm, Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They're established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So quite a short psalm, isn't it? It's just the um, ten verses. But into those verses is packed a lot about, uh, about God and a lot of different attributes which we'll, we'll hopefully explore a few of uh, this morning. In, in the first verse... The psalmist sets out the purpose of the psalm and, and tells us what's to come as, as we're about to read the psalm. Um, he says, I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. And the psalmist is just saying that um, he's so full of, of the joy of the Lord and the um, an understanding of the Lord and, and the Lord's attributes that he wants to just, just bring out this praise to God. And that phrase, um, in the council of the upright and in the assembly... The, the psalmist doesn't want to keep this to himself. He wants to, to share his experience of God with other people. Um, 
perhaps that's something we can straight away draw a parallel with with ourselves. Um, we've spent this morning uh, praising God and worshiping God, but then perhaps um, when we go about our, our days in, in the rest of the week, perhaps we're not so forthcoming with with our thoughts about God or our, our praise to God, and perhaps we can be a bit shy, can't we? Of, of even discussing God, even amongst ourselves in, in the church. We can be um, a bit reserved about um, our thoughts and our, our, our praises for God. Um, but the psalmist here has said, I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. And in reading uh, some background to this, um, the thought is apparently that the, the council of the upright was a more limited group than the assembly, which was a wider group of people. So it's, it's, it's as if the psalmist is saying, I, I'm not going to limit this to a, a small group of people. I'm going to praise the Lord to, to whoever will listen almost. So just an encouragement for us to be, to be so, um, so open with our, our praise to God and our, our willingness to talk about God's wonderful attributes. Um, it's a challenge for us sometimes, isn't it, even amongst ourselves. But let's, let's always be having God on our lips as we, as we go into discussions with each other and just in general day-to-day life, let's be willing to praise God always. <clears throat> the psalmist goes on to say in verse 3, Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. So within that short uh, section there, we have two separate characteristics of God. We have that he's glorious and majestic, but also that he's, that he's righteous, and his righteousness endures forever. It's important that, that God has both of those attributes and not one without the other. If we could imagine a God who's righteous but not powerful, we'd say, well, it, it's, it's great that, that God is righteous, but without power, it's, um, it's limited, isn't it? That the effectiveness of that righteousness would be limited if God didn't have power to, um, to work in, in the world that he created. On the other hand, um, to say that God is glorious and majestic, or perhaps we can say powerful, um, if God didn't have righteousness with that, then that would be a cause for concern, wouldn't it? If, if we had a God who was powerful but not righteous, we'd perhaps wonder how that power was going to be used and, and perhaps um, the power wouldn't be used for good. But thankfully we can, we can say with confidence that our God is both powerful and righteous. Um, and we trust that God's righteousness will always... Um, See, see that his will is done and his will is, is good and it's for our good as those who follow him. So we can say that our God is both powerful and righteous. Um, that phrase as well, his righteousness endures forever. It's a reminder to us that our God is unchanging even when perhaps we are up and down with our service for God and our, our relationship with God. We know that God's righteousness is something that he won't compromise on and it's something that endures forever. So... We can praise our God for being an unchanging, righteous and powerful God. <clears throat> Verse 4 says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. And again, this is another distinct characteristic. Um, it would be perfectly possible for God to be powerful and righteous and yet not show mercy to his people. Um, we often say, don't we, that we're not owed anything by God. It's nothing that we've done that means God um, shows any love or mercy to us and we can add to that that God's righteousness doesn't require that he's merciful to us God could still be righteous and withhold his mercy from us because he's um, he's perfectly entitled to do that 
But thankfully, we know that God is gracious and he is compassionate. Um, As we've been thinking this morning, God loved us so much that he was prepared to pay the ultimate price to redeem us. He was prepared to to suffer loss for himself in, in sacrificing his son so that he could redeem us to himself. So in doing that, we, we see that God is gracious and compassionate, but he also maintained his righteousness because the requirement of a sacrifice for sin was met through his son. So we have that God was powerful and righteous, and yet crucially for us, and thankfully for us, he's gracious and compassionate and merciful too. So um, already we can, we can say that God is so worthy of our praise to have these, these attributes all working together to... Um, to describe such a, a, a magnificent God that we can praise. <clears throat> Verse 5 says that God provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. It's a, a simple reminder for us that God is able and willing to meet our needs. We read in, uh, in the Gospels, Jesus telling his listeners not to worry. And he says how... Um, the body is more important than food, and um, sorry, the body is more important than clothes, um, and that God is able to meet our needs. Um, the question is, do we trust God to meet our needs? Uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus says, "You cannot serve both God and money." Um, Perhaps we usually think of that verse and we think of people who are rich when we read that verse. People who have got so much money that it it consumes them and and they they worship the money rather than worshipping God. But it is possible for us to serve money even when we don't have much of it. Um, There there are several ways in which uh, money can consume our thinking or or the the need for things, uh, physical things in this world can consume our thinking. Whether it be having lots of things and loving them too much or whether it being not having enough and spending every waking moment worrying about how we're going to make ends meet and how we're going to meet our own needs. Um, the reminder in this verse in, in the psalm saying, God provides food for those who fear him. Just a reminder that God is able and willing to, to provide the things we need. Um, <clears throat> so the, the simple prayer for us should be, as, as the Lord said in his, his prayer, Give us this day our daily bread. We're not to be worrying so much about things of this world that we neglect to do God's work, but rather we're to trust in God to to meet our needs and to give us what we need. And we know that he'll do that in order for us to serve him. So he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Verse 6 says, he has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. Um, if, we, if we go to Genesis chapter 12 briefly, just three verses from Genesis 12, uh, beginning at verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and, ever, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that's what the psalmist is, is referencing in, in verse 6 when it says, um, he's shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. We know that that, that happened 
Um, we know that the Israelites were given um, the lands of many nations. Uh, we read about it in, in the Old Testament. Um, but what an understatement that is in, in Genesis 12 and 3 where, where the Lord says, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Perhaps Abraham wouldn't have really understood, understood the true magnitude of that, what God was saying to him. But we know, don't we, uh, looking back, that many centuries after Abraham, many centuries after God had made this promise to him, came Jesus. And he would be the one who conquered sin once and for all and redeemed so many to, to, um, to be brought back to God because of that, that issue of sin. Um, that condemnation from sin was dealt with and was defeated. So one understatement that is to say that all peoples on earth would be blessed through Abraham because we know that when Jesus came he blessed so many and he's still blessing so many today um, those who put their trust in him <clears throat> um, a few more verses in Genesis if we go to Genesis 35 <clears throat> Genesis 35 and verse 10 is where we see Jacob being called Israel for the first time God said to him your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. So again, we see the fulfilment of um, what the psalmist is referring to in that verse, verse 6. Um, he's shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. <clears throat> and then just a couple of other verses on that point in, in Deuteronomy 7. Um, you needn't turn to all these necessarily. They're just, um, just a few verses here and there. But Deuteronomy 7 Verse 7 says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out, out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So again, it was just a reminder, um, and it links in with what we're, we're reading here in, in this verse. Um, God didn't choose Israel because of any might or any, any, anything that Israel could benefit God. And it's the same with us. God didn't choose us because we were strong or clever or um, particularly useful to him. God chose us simply because he loves us. Um, and it's something for us to just to cherish. Um, as we've sung, we, we know not why God's wondrous grace to us has been made known, but... Um, we can be thankful that, that God did choose us and thankful that um, because of God's love, we're, we're redeemed and we're, we're, we're brought into that relationship with him. <clears throat> so we move down to verse 7 of our psalm. It says, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. And from that, we can simply uh, say that we know that we can build on a solid foundation of God's precepts. Um, the psalmist seems to, to have known in his own experience that um, God was to be trusted. Um, perhaps the psalmist was looking back on the history of, of his nation Israel, or perhaps even in his own life the psalmist was able to see 
God working um, for good and, and working um, in the psalmist's own life. But either way, we, we can be sure today, can't we, as well, that um, God's precepts and God's guidance for how to live our lives is trustworthy. And we know that because of who God is, we can, we can build a solid foundation and a, and a life on God's word. <clears throat> Moving down to verse 9, it says, He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. And again, just thinking about that idea of redemption, um, we know that um, in the book of Exodus, Israel was redeemed from Egypt. They were brought out from uh, slavery and, and suffering by God. And God was faithful in, in doing what he promised. And he brought them out of Egypt into, um, into the promised land. And similarly, as we've been thinking already, we've been redeemed in a similar way, haven't we? We were slaves to sin. We were destined for um, eternal punishment and separation from God. But we've been redeemed from our sins because of, of God's love for us. So we can, uh, we can see ourselves in that verse. He provided redemption for his people. And then when we come to the end of the psalm, it's, um, it's been a psalm full of the attributes of God, full of praise for God. And then it finishes with this, this word of wisdom to the listener or the reader of the psalm. It says in verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So that, that word of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. Um, it's wise, isn't it, for us to follow what God says. Perhaps sometimes it, it doesn't seem like wisdom to us. Perhaps we would prefer, well, our own intellect and our own decision-making to go a different way. But ultimately, as we've been thinking already, God is the one who's trustworthy and who has come through for his people time and again in his word. And he's the one who we should be building a foundation on in, in our life. So the psalmist has already set out the many virtues of God. He's described God as powerful, righteous, merciful, the provider for his people, faithful in keeping his covenants, and the redeemer of his people from hardship. So it's almost as though the psalmist is laying out a case for the, the, the reader or the listener to trust in God. Um, as if the psalmist is saying, this is, who, this is who we serve, this is who we worship. Um, surely this is the one we want to put our trust in. And it's as if the psalmist is saying, since our God is so great, so powerful, so loving, etc., um, we would surely do well to follow his way of doing things. Um, and it was true for them, and it's true for us as well, isn't it? Um, since we can see how great our God is and how able to, um, to help and how able to um, bring about change our God is, we can, we can say with confidence that he's the one that we should be building our life on and... Um, and looking to serve in this life. <clears throat> um, it's one of the great benefits of reading the Psalms, isn't it? I think um, all, the, all the Psalms that we've looked at in our series so far, and um, other Psalms as well, we, we get a chance to get back in touch with just how great God is. Um, sometimes perhaps we can take it for granted uh, who God is, and we can just... Um, we can focus so much on, on the practicalities or... or um, what we're meant to do in our own lives that we lose sight of just who we're serving and how great God is and how loving and merciful God is um, but this psalm and other psalms as well are just a really good way to, to reset on that and to, uh, to get back in touch with who God is 
And the psalmist had clearly seen this for himself. He'd seen the greatness of God in his own life and, and surely as well in the history of his people. Um, so the challenge for us as we, as we close is just to think about whether we have this lived experience of God. Can we look back on times in our own lives when we can see that God is indeed faithful or trustworthy or righteous or loving? Perhaps it can even be a, a, a negative experience or a difficult experience we've had where we've gone through hardship, but we've come through the other side and seen that, that God is indeed righteous and um, unchanging. Or perhaps it can be a good experience where God has blessed us and we can see that God has provided and God is trustworthy and faithful. Um, but regardless of what the experience is that we've had, it's, it's so good for us to reflect on our lives. And I think it's something we can all do. Um, reflect back on experiences we've had where we can see God's hand in things. And um, it's something that will empower our witness when we speak to other people about God. If we're drawing on our own experiences and we're drawing on our own um, idea of who God is, uh, supplemented by his word, of course, then it's so much more um, empowering and it comes across so much better to people when we speak of, of who God is, if we have that lived experience. So just um, some, some thoughts that we can, we can glean from this psalm. Uh, the psalmist setting out methodically um, the different attributes of God in a way um, in which they complement each other and they paint this wonderful picture of who God is. And then that, that final verse... Um, finishing off with a word of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. Let's try and be those people who, um, who fear the Lord and are willing to follow his precepts and to, to build our foundation on who God is and, and his love for us. Shall we pray?